Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for the <laughs> the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine. Okay, we keep bantering the name around, but we trademarked it and we're taken off. And uh, this week we have a very special guest, my partner who is uh, Sean Bean, who's going to be talking about hormones. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Sean. Sean, I've known for several years, and uh, as, as anybody will tell you when I speak of him, I use the word genius a lot. Okay, I use the word, well, I, I use other words, but I use the word genius a lot. And uh, let me let you know that he's provided about in excess of 4,000 hours in service as a physician's consultant. He's uh, the kind of guy that doctors go to uh, to get information. Um, he uh, counsels them on, uh, how, on how to treat their patients with nutritional and supplemental evaluations. Uh, he is provided essential knowledge that is uh, in the endocrine, neurological, psychological, and immune systems. Okay, um, he develops nutritional and supplemental inter- interventions formulated into a therapeutic protocol. Interestingly, uh, some of the thoughts that Sean has had that he has um, shared with physicians, uh, especially different Lyme doctors and so forth, is that uh, he brings his knowledge to uh, those physicians' uh, care and their outcomes have gotten better because directly because of what Sean has inputted. Um, he, uh, Sean has a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology. He has uh, expertises in auricular therapy, Ayurvedic pulse analysis, clinical procedure, clinical hypnotherapy, hair analysis, herbology, homeopathy, iridology, master's therapeutic protocols, neuro-linguistic programming, nutritional analysis, stress and pain management, and neuroendo in, uh, neuroendoimmunology. And I've got to tell you something. We don't call him the DNA whisperer for nothing. Tonight, Sean is going to share his extensive knowledge about some particular hormones because you can't do hormones all in one session. And uh, the first question I'd like you to, to answer, Sean, I know you're out there and I know you're driving, so uh, everybody listen real close, okay? Um, Sean, what is a hormone? Everybody talks about hormones, but what are they? Hormones are basically a protein. It's a carrier. It's a messenger that signals different regions in the body. For example, you have hormones that trigger um, um, immune system responses. You have hormones that trigger, you know, responsible for thyroid. You have hormones that are responsible for sex characteristics. So basically, it's just a... um, the messenger uh, sends a signaling to specific regions of the body. Has a fairly powerful effect, from what I understand. Um, I know you wanted to talk about estrogen and uh, testosterone tonight. Okay, they're the real basic ones that uh, we need to know about, and I know there's reams and reams and reams of information on them, and so I'm going to just let you loose, and um, (laughs) please go ahead and tell us Dump your brain and tell us what you know. Basically, there's a lot of males out there that are suffering from the grumpy old man syndrome, as I call it. Um, these range, the average range used to be, you, you're supposed to feel this in your early 40s and late 50s, but through my years of experience, just in the past seven or eight years, we're starting to see a lot of patients that are experiencing these in their 14, 15 years old. And it's like, why is this stuff occurring? You know, this isn't like natural occurring phenomenon. And a lot of this has to do with, number one, the environmental impacts that we have, okay? One of the main issues is is, um, plastics. They're called xenobiotics. And plastic can actually cause disruptions in the, um, where the hormones actually attach to. They can actually go in and block the receptor sites. So it can actually trick the brain into thinking it has enough testosterone, and that, 
or enough testosterone and actually shut off. Or estrogen can go in and actually tell testosterone to shut down um, as well because it causes negative feedback with the pituitary gland. Um, other factors that can cause this is, again, estrogen dominance, um, which is, as you can notice, our obesity rate is starting to go upward. Um, take a look at the general population. Um, obesity is on the rise, even with all the health measures that are being taken in place. Uh, it's amazing that health fitness clubs are at an all-time high for membership, but obviously something's just not connecting here. Um, why are these Sean, old people going to... Go ahead. I'm sorry. What does obesity have to do with estrogen dominance? What obesity... When a person is obese or a person is beyond their natural um, lean body mass, everybody has a natural set point, okay? Some people can have a natural set point to be heavy and it doesn't affect their hormones. Other people can deviate um, uh, at a certain percent body weight, and they actually become increased estrogenic. The reason being is, is you have an enzyme called aromatase. And what aromatase does is it converts testosterone into estrogen. And the more fat you have on your body, the more estrogen your body will most likely produce. Um, and that's why when you see a typical male walks in the office, beer, be- you know, beer belly hanging out, you know, they got what they call kind of gynecomastial, the man boobs, um, mm-hmm. and, and um, they're skinning the arms and stuff. It's basically just their uh, high estrogen levels. You'll also notice guys, uh, when you're dealing with estrogens, that they have some of the characteristics, and, and the typical characteristics in female and male anatomy is, is you know, Mr. Happy's not too happy in the morning, waking up. And that's usually the telltale sign with is, is if the male is not getting a morning erection, then something tells me that there's an imbalance in the uh, estrogen dominance. And once mm. people correct the estrogen dominance, a lot of that tends to resolve itself over time. Um, and... A lot of guys that I worked with that have high what they call estradiol or E2, if you dig for it enough, you find out the reasons why. Um, one would be a zinc deficiency, um, which would be associated with zinc is needed to help detoxify estrogen. Zinc is also part of the alcohol dehydrogenase pathway, which actually detoxifies alcohol. That's why people who drink beer a lot end up with... Um, high estrogen levels. Um, wow. I, I never knew that. That's great. Any kind of alcoholism can stimulate the, it can stimulate the aromatase um, cells. And that's not a good thing because uh, that predispositions you to cardiovascular disease. Even though that estrogen is cardioprotective and it also helps with um, bone manufacturing, because any guy that has low estrogen, which is extremely rare, but there is a genetic disorder that that happens, where they have no aromatase, uh, will most likely end up with fatty liver. They'll end up with osteoporosis, a higher chance of osteoporosis, and um, extended beer belly, and low and very thin limbs. This is, a, this is your typical um, um, alcoholic. Big right, their belly, right. and um, they have atrophy on their limbs. You know, they look like a baseball. And what happens in that situation is, is if they drink enough, they get what's called android fat, which is actually um, like when you have people that are heavy and like when you're a kid and you run as fast as you can and you bounce off of them, that's android fat. That's, that's usually a sign of major heavy drinker or a person who's got major liver issues. Because what happens is, is the body will take the toxins and store them in fat tissue, okay? So if you're toxic, you're going to be like, most likely have a higher chance to have an estrogen dominant as a male because those toxins are going to be stored in fat, and the body gets rid of If the body can't get rid of it, it wraps it in fat, and it stores it in your own system. That where, that's where the saying that comes in is, is 
you're not fat, you're inflamed, which is true. Right. Because inflamed, right. detox, because a person who's toxic, the person's inflamed. So if you're toxic, your body can't get rid of the toxins, so it's going to protect itself by wrapping it in fat. So, and what happens is, is if you see a person, because some of the patients that come into me and stuff uh, from other doctors, I'll have them lift their shirt up and I'll touch their stomach. Sometimes there's a jelly belly, and then you got the, they got the belly where you take your finger, poke it, and you can't even move an inch. You know, it's like a rock hard. And that's the, that's the type of fat that's very damaging to the cardiovascular system. They're actually, and with, their, with that type of heart fat, they're significantly increasing their chances of, of heart, uh, heart disease, as well as type 2 diabetes. Now, some other reasons why low testosterone happens is, is um, back about three, four years ago, there, there was the brilliant young kids decided to develop a game um, where I can't remember the exact name of it, but they would kick a person in the go. Uh, a group of kids would get together and line up and kick each other in the balls or testicles as we prefer them, to see whoever stands. Well, what happens is, is if you actually damage the testicles, the pituitary could be sending out the signal, but nobody's home to answer. So that is what we refer to as primary hypogonadism, okay? Majority of the cases that are younger people are dealing with are known as secondary. These are the characteristics where your testicles are able to respond if there was correct signaling. And this happens in people that have any kind of, of stress. Stress is a major player on HPTA dysfunction, okay? Whether it's environmental, structural, um, neurological, psychological, um, lifestyles, um, um, genetic, whatever the stress happens, it's going to put, it's going to put um, signaling is not going to be working right. Basically what happens is the general's drunk and he's giving out the signals. He's, he's, he's basically drunk. He's giving out the signals, the orders, but the Army's not responding. The Army doesn't know what to do. They're confused. So what happens is, is the signal's being sent out, but the body doesn't know what to do with it. So you've got to look into the areas uh, where, why that's happening, Okay. So when I look at testosterone, the first thing I want to look at is the symptomology, okay? You know, number one is, is how old is the person, okay? How long he's been having the symptoms? And the first question you've got to ask yourself is, is, you know, sexual performance. Are you able to get an erection, maintain an erection, or do you go what they call limp noodle, okay? Um, that's not psychologically dependent. So... If a person can't maintain erection and you're not functioning well, then that would raise red flags for testosterone issues, or what we call testosterone deficiency. Another issue would be memory, okay? Memory is a major one that gets affected from testosterone. Um, again, you get people that get older and they tend to lose their memory. But when you check the testosterone level, you find their testosterone level is low on the the low normal range and when they're treated with testosterone the memory improves so memory is another big factor that's affected by testosterone muscle mass muscle mass is a major one that's affected okay and we all know that um, performing enhancing drugs such as anabolic steroids are no different than the testosterone they give to mm. um, that the doctor gives to you okay there's no difference. It's just the amount. There's philosophical dosages, and then there's abuse dosages, okay? So if a person has used anabolic steroids in the past, they may have a harder time getting their body back online than normal. That may be a cause of what they call secondary hypogonadism induced by um, anabolic steroid abuse. Um, that's where, like, your athletes will take what they call cycles. They'll cycle it, okay? They'll go on, they'll go off. 
Now, when you're doing hormone replacement therapy, there's no cycling. What you're on, it's replacement, okay? It should not be discontinued unless you're trying to restart your own body's, um, unless you're trying to start your own body's production, which can be done um, through different mechanisms, which I'll get through. But the main symptoms are um, lack, um, loss of muscle mass, loss of libido, lack of desire for sex, um, inability to maintain the erection, inability to wake up with what they call morning wood, um, and a lot of the guys who are on the boards and stuff, they have what's called a wood meter. Um, it's, just a, it's just a measurement by which they go by how firm their morning erections are. If their morning erections aren't like the type that you can hang a coat hanger on them, then there's something wrong, okay? Um, because testosterone peaks in the morning, and that's when it's the highest. So when you get your testosterone tested from the doctor, when you're testing at low normal ranges, you're actually testing at your highest point. As the day goes on, it'll start to drop. So if you test mm-hmm. low, in, if you start if you start low to begin with, by the time you're throughout the day, mm-hmm. you are dragging. Your probably your memory's not as good. And you're feeling the symptoms, even though at that time you're in the normal range. So when testing testosterone, I like to see in certain areas, certain, um, certain ranges um, that I feel is um, not healthy, not within the range. And, and what would that, those ranges be? Um, the ranges are based upon the, quote, Normal, 18 to 90 year old. Okay. Now the labs are starting to break it down into where they're starting to do it age dependent, which I think is not right. Okay. Because what happens is, is if you're 50 years old, your range may be from say 250 to say 600, where on the scale, which has been shown, that most over 50 years ago. Most testosterone levels, on average, were between five and six hundred. Okay. Now, on the average, they're between three and four. On average. Okay. Really. So, what you want to do is, is you want to get your testosterone level into the four to five hundred range. Okay. Five hundred, preferably. But again, there are other factors that go into testosterone evaluations, and we'll cover those as we go. But just for the general consensus, I like to see the testosterone level 450 to about 700 or 800 at max. Mm-hmm. Provided, okay. all the, provided the, all the other factors are healthy, okay? You could have testosterone levels if the factors aren't healthy. You could, provide, you could have the optimal testosterone level but not and still be deficient. Amazing, amazing. Well, I know you also wanted to get into the estrogenic problems. Okay, and I'm sure I'm sure the um, ladies out there would like you to speak on that. Yeah, um, I'll definitely speak on that. Testosterone is one of my uh, main strong points because I have helped doctors develop a hormone replacement therapy protocols for mm-hmm. probably close to, probably close to one to two thousand patients over wow. the 10-year wow. period I've worked with. And these, just not are, these are just not your normal, normal average cases. These are the complex ones which um, go into more depth of why um, you have normal testosterone, but the thing is, is you have all your levels are normal, but you're still having the symptoms, okay? And this brings me into my next category of how can my testosterone be normal but I still have the symptoms, okay? The first thing you want to look at is the total number. The second one you want to look at is the SHBG. That is called the sex hormone binding globulin, okay? The sex hormone binding globulin range goes from, it goes from um, 10 to approximately 50, okay? So if you go to the endocrinologist and you get a testosterone level, say, of 500, and the, the endocrinologist says, you're perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Go see a shrink. Well, 
you got to reconsider different. You got to reconsider things. Okay, that's just total testosterone. Okay, that's not telling you how much is available. Okay, if you have good testosterone levels and your sex hormone binding globulin is elevated, which would probably be above 35, 40 ish. What it's like is is it's like going to a pizza place and ordering a pepperoni pizza, and when the pizza comes out, the, the, there's only about one quarter of the pepperoni on the pizza, and you look at the person and say, what's this all about? Well, he said, you ordered, pepperoni, you ordered pizza, and you ordered pepperoni, but the pepperoni is like a small percentage of it. That's what happens with um, testosterone, okay? You could have total normal testosterone, but it have a low bioavailability because of the uh, high sex hormone binding globulin, okay? Think of sex hormone binding globulin like Pac-Man, okay? It's going to gobble up all the bioavailable testosterone. So the more Pac-Mans you have, the less bioavailable testosterone you have. So that's one of the major factors that I run into with people, um, that their endocrinologist never even checks the SHVG, uh, which is one of the main reasons why they go through uh, symptoms and have no explanation why. They end up on shrink and going on Paxil or other um, narcotics, um, like the drugs. I see that time and time again. Um, another factor is estrogen, okay? Just as estrogen, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, but not enough can also be problems. So when you're looking at total testosterone, say your testosterone level was 500, which is fine. Your SHPG level, which was 20, which is in the middle range. The optimum SHPG should be between 20 and 30, okay, on average, okay? Now, you get a 20 to 30 sex hormone binding globulin, which is fine. Your total testosterone level is fine, but you're still not able to put on muscle mass. You cry at every possible um, um, movie there is, and with no unexplained reasons, and sexually, you're not performing like you should for a 25-year-old. So the doctor comes in and he goes, okay, you're normal, I'm like, um, but I'm having all these symptoms. Well, guess what? Most endocrinologists do not believe estradiol is necessary for, is, should be tested because it's a female hormone, okay? I cannot tell you how many endocrinologists from top medical facilities in the country who do not believe in testing estradiol. And what happens there is, is these people, these poor young guys are going through life all alone not knowing that they have estrogen problems. And, again, they end up on meds they shouldn't be on in the first place. So when you get your estradiol checked, the first thing you want to do is, is you want to make sure the doctor's doing the correct essay, okay? The correct essay which I use is, is the ultra-sensitive quest which is um, the ultra-sensitive essay from Quest, which is designed for um, being as detailed as possible um, in regards to estrogen. The one I use for LabCorp is it's the, um, it's the estradiol test with a range from 7 to 40, 42.6, okay? The estradiol sensitive is not as accurate, okay, on LabCorp. And if you run a quest and they just get, give you a level of less than 52, that's not the appropriate one. That's called, um, that's, the, that's estrogen rapid. That's, that doesn't work. You need the ultra-sensitive one to be the most accurate one for measuring. Um, and you need the um, E2 test on LabCorp. I think it's 045. It's 0 zero four five one five if I remember correctly which are the codes on it and the mm -hmm. um, and the one for the um, quest I believe is um, I think it's three zero two nine X but um, don't quote me on that but you want the ultra sensitive one um, from quest and you want your estradiols okay if your estrogen comes back and your testosterone level is 500, and your estrogen is 50, that tells me that, you have estrogen, that you're more likely to be estrogen dominant, okay? Now, 
it's the job of the practitioner to find out why you're estrogen dominant in the first place, okay? Um, and if you try to treat the estrogen alone medically and not take care of the root cause, it can cause problems because treating estrogen with what they call an anti-aromatase, which will be considered um, anastrozole or ADEX, um, aromasin, um, or Letrol or Femara is not the proper way to do it. It's not a long-term solution, okay? Those should be used when using conjunction with hormone replacement therapy, okay? Are you talking about uh, anti-aromatase or aromatase inhibitors? Yes, anti-aromatase inhibitors. Okay. Um, called... Go ahead. There's... there's there's three, there's three main types. There's anastrozole, which is anastrozole, anastrozole, which is arimacin, uh, arimidex, which is commonly known as adex. There's um, aromacin, and there's letrol. Letrol is also known as femara. It's also um, a female, it's also a drug that's used to tra- treat breast cancer. Now, the interesting part is, is that the sales of those meds have gone up significantly, not from cancer, but from doctors who are treating uh, testosterone replacement therapy with anti-estrogen drugs. So that's pretty interesting. Really? That the yes, um, majority of people. If you would do it, uh, if you do would do a track on usage of drugs for anti uh, anti-aromatase inhibitors, then. The, um, I mean, aromatase inhibitors. The number one reason would be for to treat male estrogen issues in hormone replacement therapy, not breast cancer. Wow. Because um, <clears throat> I know neuroscience just came out with um, with the uh, aromatase inhibitors um, got diaspartic acid and seven methoxyflavone in it. Uh, and that's what they're touting it as being. That, Diaspartic acid right, that, and 7-methoxyflavone. Seven, seven okay, now, getting into diaspartic acid, number one is, is if the person has high glutamate levels, you do not go nowhere near diaspartic acid. It actually um, makes glutamate problems worse. Really? Second, second of all, um, if that's going to be an anti-aromatase inhibitor, they, unfortunately, they need to go back to the drawing board because diaspartic acid actually increases estrogen because it stimulates the Lyle, um, the, Linux, uh, Lyle you know, the um, cells that produce cells that produce um, testosterone um, in males. And one of the biggest areas of um, aromatases is within the testes. That's why when a lot of guys take a drug that's called HCG uh, on hormone replacement therapy, their estrogen level goes through the roof. That's why a lot of people that take um, um, ACG monotherapy are chasing their estrogen estradiol all over the place because a lot of the a lot of the aromatase activity happens within the uh, testicles itself. Wow. So, okay. So diaspartic acid. I would be very, very cautious of for two reasons, as I mentioned, the glutamate toxicity, um, as well as the the potential for increasing estrogen itself. Okay. If you're going to use use a natural aromatase, you would use DIM, you would use curcumin, you would use high dosage vitamin C liposomal, Um, you would also work on the methylation system. Um, that's why most people with estrogen issues have methylation system, methylation imbalances. Yeah. Um, they also they have, have clogged. Yeah. They, also, they also have clogged livers. Uh, dim dim will work on the CYP1B1 uh, within the genetic profile because um, it helps convert two and sixteen hydroxy converts helps convert the bad estrogens, which is the sixteen hydroxy and four hydroxy into the good estrogens which is the 2-hydroxy, or 2-OH. Um, another way to correct estrogen dominance is, is to correct the thyroid, okay? 
if a person has an underactive thyroid, you're going to be more likely to have estrogen dominance. You're actually going to be a higher risk of breast cancer, too. Um, so people treated with um, levothyroxine and they're not being treated properly um, can put themselves into an iodine-deficient state. And we all know that iodine is very protective to the breast tissue because it helps with um, production of the good estrogen, the protective estrogen, called E3, which is estriol. And we know that iodine deficiencies run rampant in America, and we know that MTHFR causes somewhat a disruption in the iodine transport mechanism. So the connection between MTHFR, iodine deficiency, and breast cancer can be easily be seen in a lot of cases um, within the estrogen dominant pattern. So again, iodine could be a potential candidate for helping to control estrogen. Um, sometimes I use iodine in place of DIM. Uh, they have fantastic results. Um, when people take DIM, they may experiencing a yellowing of the urine. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's basically your body flushing out the garbage. Because the same thing happens mm-hmm. when you take same thing happens when you take iodorol. People complain that their urine gets really, really thick and dirty looking. Well what it's doing is is it's clearing out the it's clearing out toxins in your system. Um, yeah. And when you're doing butter, actually. Yep. And when you're doing dim you've got to make sure your methylation pathways are opened up too. Um, so maybe adding a little bit of TMG um, might help offset that, help to wash the estrogens downstream, so to speak. So when you're dealing with testosterone, three main things you have to look at is, number one, what is the root cause? Why? Number two is, is, is there medical, is, is the person qualified for testosterone replacement therapy? Okay. One of the fastest ways an endocrinologist in the state of New York can lose their license is prescribing androgel to a, to a person who's less than 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, too many doctors are jumping on the bandwagon and they're not finding out what the root cause was. I could go through several, several examples of case studies where uh, a lot of the root causes may have been, actually were, um, number one, was gluten sensitivity because without gluten sense, with the gluten sensitivity, it caused the person not to absorb their minerals. Since zinc is a major component for testosterone production, when a person is zinc deficient, which should be checked through the red blood cell, they are more likely to have uh, testosterone deficiency, okay? Selenium is another one. Vitamin E, they're all crucial for testosterone production. Um, biotin is also crucial for testosterone production. There was a study that was done on rats where biotin deficiency actually caused decreased um, LH um, in the system. So if you do a spectrocell test or you come up biotin deficient, um, that could be one of the reasons why a person may have low testosterone. Uh, others are environmental, which could be anything ranging from gasoline, gas fumes, to um, I had one guy who was, quote, bulking up, okay? And when I evaluated his diet, I saw that he was drinking eight ounces of milk a day, okay? Eight glasses of milk a day he was drinking. And his estradiol was 60 which is extremely high for an 18-year-old, okay? Once I removed the dairy um, and removed all the yogurt and the cottage cheese and the milk products, his estrogen level shot back down to 25, okay? His testosterone level was at 300 at the time, okay? When his estrogen went back into check, his testosterone level went from the low 300s all the way up to 550. Now, if that guy would have gone to an endocrinologist, he would have qualified for potential hormone replacement therapy because he was on a little on the low range and experiencing symptoms. So here you have an 18 or 19 year old who has low testosterone that was going to be condemned to a life of hormone replacement therapy because of the lack of the education and not finding out the root cause of the problem. I cannot tell you how many people I've run into that are 21, 22, put on hormone replacement therapy, which was never the root cause of the problem. And what they're finding out is, is 
as they're putting on hormone replacement therapy and the root cause of the problem wasn't resolved, six months down the road, symptoms are getting worse instead of better, and they have no explanation why. Well, when you do hormone replacement therapy, it goes back to what I've been telling people. You always want to address the neurotransmitters, adrenal glands first, because what happens is, is the testosterone comes from cholesterol, and cholesterol then goes into pregnenolone, and then pregnenolone goes into progesterone, progesterone goes into DHEA, okay, then DHEA goes on to endostenone and testosterone, okay? If you have low building blocks to begin with, you're not going to make the hormones, okay? So if you, all these doctors are putting people on statin drugs and driving their cholesterol down to 130, 125, how the hell do they have the building blocks to make testosterone, okay? And one of the theories is, is, is one of the reasons why people on statin drugs are having problems with their memory is because of the fact of the testosterone levels are crashing. Not only are testosterone crashing, also cortisol levels are dropping, okay? And we all know that cortisol is a hormone you cannot live without or you die. And then if you have low cortisol levels, you end up with high norepinephrine levels, which ends up in anxiety. Then you throw COMT in on top of it. Then you've got a person who's going into to potential paranoia, delusion, and maybe even beginning of, of schizophrenia if the COMT is active. So if you don't take care of the root cause, you're causing this whole chain reaction in the first place which is not a pretty sight. And I'm sure, Jesse, you've seen several cases of this as well. You know? Oh, yeah. Guys come to oh, you. Oh, yeah. They have, they have um, good hormone levels. They're on testosterone, and they can't, and they're still having issues. That's because the root cause was never done. And That's, my, that is my, what uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. My, go ahead, my pet peeve is this. My pet peeve is this. If a person comes to me on testosterone replacement therapy and they're less than 30, 35, probably 35 is cut off, I'm going to try to find out why they're on testosterone replacement in the first place to begin with. And what I'll do is, is I'll go back through the metabolic pathways looking at the building blocks, the foundations, the, end of the enzymes that are involved, the genetic SNPs, to find out why are you on testosterone in the first place, okay? Go back to the basics, all right? If I find out that they're zinc deficient, what I'll do is, is I'll have the doctor keep them on testosterone, which does improve their quality of life, but I'll go back and rebuild them from ground up, providing them the proper raw materials for the testosterone. And then what I'll do is, is it's kind of like riding a bike, okay? Your brain, your body remembers, okay? It remembers how to, how to signal the testosterone. So what I'll do is, is uh, when I feel that their symptoms are better, um, that was not resolved from testosterone replacement therapy, and all the other lying, underlying issues or imbalances are addressed, what I'll do is, is I'll have the doctor do a Clomid restart, okay? And basically what this means is, is this is the person coming off testosterone and giving their body the ability to potentially start off on its own, okay? And when you use Clomid, which is actually a female drug used for um, pregnancy, to induce pregnancy. It's, it's, what you're yeah, doing it's is actually an infertility drug, yeah. It's an infertility drug, exactly. And what you do is, is you use um, a safe protocol, which is 25 milligrams, seven days, taken at night. On the eighth, on the eighth morning, you test the testosterone level and the luteinizing hormone, Okay and you see if their body has the ability to restart. If they have the body's ability to restart, you keep them on Clomid at a lower dose, probably at 12.5 milligrams, um, maybe three times a week, and then you monitor two to three weeks in uh, where the levels are at. And what you do is, is you actually retrain the brain on how to send the signal, okay? Mm -hmm. what, does, what Clomid does is it, it's like... It's like training wheels on a bike, okay? It's, it's, um, it's like putting the training wheels back on the bike and getting you moving, and then once you get moving, 
you discontinue it and see if the see if you keep the momentum going. Okay, majority of the time, if all the pistons are, if all green lights are, um, if all the enzymatic pathways are backfilled, the person keeps on going. In that way, that person is no them to a life of unnecessary hormone replacement therapy. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing, Sean. That is absolutely amazing. I didn't think it was that. I, I knew it was complex, but I didn't, I, there are certain aspects there that I was, simply wasn't familiar with. That is simply amazing. Yeah, we've, um, the doctors I've worked with, we've probably, success rate-wise, if everything's done properly, you might get a 65, a 65-70% success rate. But again, the typical doctor who does this protocol, who is, quote, a hormone specialist, they'll give you the Clomid without looking at all the backfilling of all the nutrients and all the um, everything else that goes along with it, okay? It's kind of like building a house on a crappy foundation. You're going to crumble. And that's why guys don't restart. It's because they have a crappy foundation. You rebuild that foundation, their chances of restarting are going to be significantly higher. Well, this is what we've been working on. We've been working on what's different about what we've been doing lately is working on the foundation. Okay, making Absolutely. sure that the body works. That's why a lot of that's why a lot of people have not been getting better. You can it's like in Lyme, you can kill the bug and keep killing the bug, but guess what? You don't uh, build the foundation, the infection just keeps on coming back. Exactly. And, I mean, because male hormones have dropped. Um, they estimated that 50 years ago, the average testosterone level was about 600. Now, it's, um, I'm just pulling people off the street, and I'm averaging between three, 320 to about 450 on average. And most of them have either high SHBG or estradiol issues. And they had no clue they had them. Wow. Because Amazing. As we, say, as we say, hormone is a signaling, okay? Here's another one. If a person, if, if, you come to, if a client comes to you and, and you see them with high cholesterol, instead of giving a satin drug, check their testosterone level, for God's sake, Okay. What is the purpose of testosterone? It burns fat, okay? What is, what is, what is when you check uh, a cholesterol profile, what are you checking? You're checking lipids, okay? So if you, if you give testosterone, guess what? Those lipids are going to drop, okay? When those lipids drop, what happens? Guess what? You're reducing type 2 diabetes significantly, okay? Amazing, amazing. Because lipids, so instead of giving a guy statin drug, check his freaking hormones, as well as his thyroid, okay? But you got to know how to balance the stuff, otherwise you're going to have major problems, all right? That's where, that's where the tricks comes in. That's where working, that's where I'm doing this for a decade. I'm actually going to different clinics and stuff with doctors and showing them or suggesting, since I'm not a doctor, suggesting them what has worked in the past with my tough cases so they can actually help more people, okay? And it, it's been results, my experience that when you, when you make suggestions and people follow them, people get better. I've seen, I've seen other doctors' outcome measures, and they've, in, they've improved immensely when they take the time to listen to you. Oh, people in line... The first thing I have Dr. Fine check now is testosterone. I, I have her run a testosterone panel, estradiol panel, and LH panel. Guess what? Most of those guys are low. Um, I have mm -hmm. one guy, one guy, I'm tired. I'm a fuck. I can't think straight. Uh, I go to the gym. I don't get exercise. I said, let's check your testosterone level. Boom. It was 280. I said, hmm, Okay. Well, he was over 35, so he qualified. So guess what happened? I was seeing him for about a week or so. I got the results back. Uh, I put him, I made the suggestion for what to do for the hormone replacement therapy. Guess what? 
symptoms of Lyme got better, and within um, he came back five weeks later. He came back. I said, "How are you feeling?" He goes, "I feel amazing." He said, "How is this possible?" I said, "You know that you do understand that testosterone has immune modulating properties to it, did you not?" He goes, "No, I didn't." Testosterone is needed for a very robust immune system. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work right. All right, it's just not. Um, so, and he, like I said, he was in his mid, he was in his um, mid to late thirties, and he was just like, all the symptoms are there, and Lyme doctors are not trained in this aspect. Okay, they're trained to deal with Lyme, but Doctor Fine, the LMD I work with out in West Caldwell, which I'm driving home from right now, um, is more aware of things because she's seen the improvement in her patients, okay? Um, Literally. She's seen, like, lights turn on. People that have been in wheelchairs are starting to walk because their estrogen levels are high. And when a person has MS and they have high E2 estradiol levels, your joints are going to work, okay? Low E2 or high E2 causes inflammation, okay? One case I had, the guy was just so inflamed, he could barely move. I checked his estradiol level, his testosterone level, and said, yo, your, your estrogen levels are high. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, do you know estrogen actually, increased pro, it actually increases um, pro-inflammatory cytokines? He goes, no. I said, well, that's where we're going to get your testosterone estrogen in check, okay? Once we got his testosterone estrogen in check, guess what happened? This guy actually was in a wheelchair and couldn't move around and walk a bit. When he started getting out of the wheelchair more often, I mean, it wasn't like he was wheelchair-bound and then got up and walked, but he was wheelchair-bound but was able to use a wheelchair less because we were actually reducing the inflammation that he had no clue was. And Dr. Fine was dealing with the inflammation from the line. So if they had high estradiol, if the doctors knew he had high estrogen to begin with, it would make her job a lot easier, okay? But there's people like myself and other practitioners like you, um, Dr. Tim Jackson, you got Cynthia Smith, you got Mike G, um, um, you've got all the other great FBNs out there that are helping these doctors work in collaboration with the doctors to help them look at these other areas. And it's just amazing how all these systems are integrated, that when we come together as a unit, work together for the benefit of the patient, you're going to see a much better outcome. This is where the idea of bioindividualized medicine came from. It's mm-hmm. the idea of exactly. it's, it's the idea of pulling together, working as a unit, okay? This is not an ego trip show, okay? I have nothing no. to gain out of this. Um, I, even as my population grows, I'm staying um, because because I have a good mentor, Jesse. You have kept me well grounded through this whole process. Otherwise, oh well, thank you so I much. Been, otherwise, I would have been a ticking time bomb because I do have a reputation for being online on forums. Um, and when anybody Google's estradiol or testosterone, my name comes up but it comes up as an alias, okay? Um, that person kind of died, so I'm not on the boards as much, but I have over 150,000 posts online um, that are related to hormone, that are related to hormone. So, and I get a lot of clients uh, just from people Googling my name because they've been tired of going to endocrinologists, okay? Endocrinologists are taught traditional medicine, okay? When you go to an endocrinologist that has hormone problems, guess what? They're going to test your total testosterone and your LH, and that's it. They're not trained to look at estradiol. They're not trained to look at SHBG. They're not trained to look at these other areas outside the spectrum. They're trained traditional, okay? And one of the avenues that I've ran into in my own personal journeys was is you go to an you, you wait 12 weeks to see an endocrinologist, they run three stinking blood tests on you, and they tell you come back in 12 weeks. Well, guess what? That's a whole that's a whole year of your life 
gone to hell in a handbasket because of that. That's exactly okay? true. That's why when I work with doctors and stuff, I want to get in there and find out what's going on, okay? When a typical endocrinologist treats hormone replacement therapy, what they'll do is, is they'll give you five milligrams of androgel until you come back in three months. Well, guess what? You start that androgel, first of all, it may actually lower your testosterone because you're not getting enough testosterone into your body. Um, you're getting just enough testosterone into your body to tell your, to tell your pituitary to shut down, your LH to shut down. So there's many guys that go three months and they go back. Your endocrinologist says, well, you just hit 300. Now you're at 180. And meanwhile, their quality of life uh, tends to decline. And they have a full-time job. They have a family they have to take care of. No, that's not me. As my clients know, I get in there, and I will tell the doctors, you put them, you put them on androgel, those plasma levels reach in about five days, okay? There's no sense of having a person go three months in a life of health because of you not checking those levels. So my protocol when I work with doctors is, is I have them apply the gel and then I have them test uh, specific labs within, four to, within five to seven days. Because I want to know that gel is getting in there, okay? Because there's no sense of going more gel when you don't have to. And you have to switch to the injection. True, Or you might have to treat, okay? If you do the injections, typical endocrinologist is this. They give you a shot of testosterone, 200 milligrams every three, two or three weeks. Well, guess what? When you shoot testosterone, your testosterone is going to shoot up to about 1,800 within 48 hours, okay? Note, your baseline was 300. So, meanwhile, as your testosterone goes up, estrogen goes up with it, okay? Now, over time, the testosterone is going to bleed out of your system, okay? So, at 1,800, you're at... 1800 48 hours afterwards six days later you're probably down around uh, probably about six you're probably down around seven 700 okay and then another week later you're back down to 200 that's total testosterone well guess what that's a hell of a swing okay and to ride the estrogen train is horrible okay mm. because unless the person through it it's literally hell because you could be going feeling really great then all of a sudden these symptoms come out in the middle of no man's land, and the endocrinologist is like, well, your testosterone levels in the normal range, but they don't, they're not taking into consideration the swing, okay, from 1,800 to 200? Come on now. That's a, that's a, um, that's a 1,600, that's a 1,600-point swing, okay? Now, if you're doing testosterone gels, you know, you might go up to 900, and if it's being absorbed, you might go up to 900, and come down to, say, four fifth, which is cool, okay? You're only deviating 500 points, not 1,800 points, or not 1,600 points, okay? Or 1,500 points. And then that, the, the reason I like gels is it's more bio, it's more natural rhythm, because your testosterone level is highest in the morning, and then it's lowest at nighttime, okay? And that's a natural pattern. So if you take your testosterone gel in the morning, you get the spike, and you get the nice, you get the nice um, circadian rhythm going. Whether you're doing testosterone okay. injections... Go ahead, go ahead. When you're doing testosterone injections, um, you want to do them multiple times throughout the week to keep a nice plasma level. Go ahead, I have, I have somebody with I have somebody with a question here. Um, go ahead. What kind of doctor can help um, DH, which I think is dear husband who is on testosterone but seems to be having memory issues? Um, those type of questions could be actually, I those, these are the type of cases that I handle. Most likely, it's, not, it's either how the testosterone is being administered or he's having estrogen issues, okay? I have to know mm -hmm. exactly, is he on an anti-estrogen? Uh, what's his dosage? How often is he taking it? When are the blood tests taken in relationship to the shot? So there's multiple areas that you have to look at um, when giving hormone replacement therapy. Gotcha. So, again, going back to the root cause of the problem, why? Okay? Again, these are the type of cases that I love 
because there's usually a simple explanation to it that the doctors are overlooking. There is a uh, – <laughs> that's a uh, – that's – why we do what we do and why we do it well is because we see the we see the things that they're overlooking. I have we have there's right. our, there are reasons for it, but we could spend all night talking about it. There is a right. um, and what this individual uh, wrote is that there's no anti-estrogen using testosterone from a compound pharmacy. By the way, the person's 62 is, years old. Okay, number one is, is what's the do- what's the dosage of testosterone? How it's being administered? How is it being measured? That's the question. Mm-hmm. Is it injection? Is it being? Is it injected? When's he injecting? How often? How much? How much is he applying? Is he applying it to his forearm? It looks like, it looks like she's ty- looks like she's typing. Um, the thing is, uh, also, if we're having memory problems uh, while she's typing, uh, let's not forget that the memory problems can be based on a different issue. Okay, it's going into the skin. I'll go look. Um, I guess she's going to – I hope she looks quick because she's only got three minutes and 50 seconds. Um, if, it's going in, if it's going into skin, skin that's known as a transdermal. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, number one, uh, the proper way to measure that would be a 24-hour urine test, um, which is available through Quest or LabCorp. Um, mm-hmm. But most doctors won't run that because you check, you check the average – because I normally, when doing gels, I want to check the average or I'll check the peak and I'll check the trough. Um, if they're peaking at 750, most, most, comp, most endocrinologists, when they do blood tests, they don't know how to do them in the first place. You've got to apply the gel first, then you measure two hours later. Okay? You don't apply the gel, then measure the next day. All right? You're measuring the trough. You've got to measure the peak. All right? If you're peaking at 700, good. If you're peaking at okay. 300, not good. Okay. Um... The individual writes 100 milligrams per one gram, 10% uses it in the morning. Okay. Um, is he rubbing it on? Is he, is he applying it with his hands? Um, is he rubbing it to his forearms? You know, where is he applying it? It's like, where is he applying it at? Applies one milliliter, four clicks. I guess this is um, an applicator of, of, of sorts. It's an applicator. Okay. Yeah. And does he rub um, Does he rub does he rub his forearms together so it gets in there? In his, sho- in his shoulders? I guess somebody's putting it on, on between the uh, shoulder blades, I guess. Now, you want to put it on your forearms, not up not on your shoulders. Forearms? Shoulders? Yeah, put it on your forearms. No, I'm just asking. Okay. Yeah, you put it on um, your forearms, put it in your thigh. Um, where else? You can rub it on your shoulders, but again, the application... Are that you know they're using the applicant, but are they rubbing it in with their hands? And when they move it down, they're rubbing it on their shoulders. And what's happening is, is they're probably pushing over the injection site. So when you get these guys that are on ten, you know what they're doing, and they test testosterone mm-hmm. levels of fourteen, fifteen hundred, it's it's a false reading. What is right. it? Because you're testing because it's going over the needle site. Right. Well, um, the you're <laughs> there's no we've only got about. We only have 90 seconds left, and it's really obvious, um, Sean, that your your knowledge in this area is um, amazing, okay? And uh, that's only matched by your passion uh, for this uh, for this particular subject. Uh, I'm sure that you can uh, equally um, give time to the estrogen, which we may do next week or the week after, because uh, obviously okay. this is a very large, very large uh, subject area. Uh, and I do applaud you for for going over the testosterone because because often often um, the testosterone areas are ignored um, or at least given a short shrift. But uh, since the audience out there is listening uh, very very close, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Should they uh, have further questions? And um, what would you how how would they get in touch with you, Sean? If they have any kind of further questions or anything, they can contact me at info at matrixhealthwell.com. Um, that's that's um, my web. That's my email address. I'm just typing it in for everybody. Okay. Or they can and contact. Of course they, or they can contact. They can contact me via Facebook too. Okay, or via Facebook. Okay, very good, Sean. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing your knowledge with us tonight. Uh, again, ten seconds. As I've always said, you're a genius, my friend. Take care. 
Everyone, thank you for right. listening. I appreciate, um, I appreciate the time. I appreciate everybody being here. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving.